everyone's going to have a bump in their road. There's always going to be a little jink. There's always a, something in that line that's going to take you off track. Might be your mates started smoking. They want you to start smoking. No, I don't want that. And there's always bumps. There's always something that's going to try and take you off your path. So that's where you need to be selfish and, and disciplined to make sure you do it. Welcome back to Take Flight, where we speak with the highest achieving individuals in their chosen field to learn what habits, routines, tricks and philosophies they live by in order to find success. We do this to inspire you to take action on your own goals and to empower you with their practices that you can adopt into your day, week, month and year and make your own. I'm really, really excited to share this one, someone I've admired for such a long time. The guest for episode 107 of Take Flight is Liam Ridgewell. Liam Ridgewell, or Ridgie as he's affectionately known, is a former professional footballer. He had an unbelievable career spanning close to 18 years with nearly 500 professional appearances. He started his pro career at Aston Villa, where he spent five years. During his time there, he played with some incredible players, including Juan Pablo Angel, Gareth Barry, Peter Crouch, Olaf Melberg, and Norberto Solano. Following a bit of a fallout with then-manager Martin O'Neill, which Ridgie talks about in this episode, he moved to local rivals Birmingham City, where he played another five years, achieving some of his career highlights, including winning the League Cup in 2011 against Arsenal. Ridgie moved to another local rival in West Brom, playing there for two years before making the leap to play Major League Soccer for Portland Timbers. He won the MLS Cup in his first year in 2015 and then took him to the final again as captain in 2018. I have to say, he is an absolute legend. I loved speaking with Ridgie, selfishly because football was my sport, but also because of my stint playing football in America. It was amazing to hear all about his thoughts on the sport over there, the culture, and just learn about his whole experience. We sat in the cinema room in his house to record, which, if you want to watch this, you can see now on YouTube, along with the other episodes from season 11. And surrounding us in the room were all of Ridgie's most important moments, including his League Cup winning Birmingham shirt and medal, and Paul and Timbers winning shirt and medal. I didn't know what to expect from this conversation outside of the football chat, but Ridgie spoke a lot about how the game has actually changed, which is really interesting. I've noticed it from the outside in, but it was great to hear from someone who was on the inside. He also spoke about what's next for him, having retired just over a year ago. And he even cleared up any questions surrounding a certain photo that was leaked several years ago. It's fascinating how things can be misconstrued when you're living in the public eye. Critically, and possibly most importantly, we discussed the mindset it takes to become a professional footballer, and possibly even more importantly, the mindset it takes to manage and cope with some of the criticism that you get. Naturally, with some of his moves from rival clubs, Ridgie put up with a fair amount of stick, and it was amazing to hear him discuss that on reflection and talk about how he cultivated a mindset that is strong enough to cope with any criticism now. And he also talked about the sacrifice it takes to make it as a pro and everything else in between. Frankly, his story is so, so impressive. Finally, we discussed Ridgie's swimwear brand, Thomas Royal, which is stocked in Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Flannels and Fenwick, that his wife Francesca now runs. This conversation was so much fun. He is a legend in football and I can't wait to see what he does in management and coaching now. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with former professional footballer, League Cup winner and MLS Cup winner and all-round legend, Liam Ridgewell. Thanks for listening. Ridgie, welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> nice to uh, finally uh, connect and get together. It is, I know. We had a couple where we, we, we missed it. You were busy with training and stuff, so. Yeah, obviously training sort of uh, dictates uh, a lot, you know, you do in your life. 
sadly. I've been used to it, but yeah, uh, yeah it's something you get used to. <laughs> we're just talking about this amazing room. We're, we're mm. sat for people listening on, in audio. We're in Richie's cinema room, which mm. is amazing. If you're watching on YouTube, it's got all the shirts around the edge, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's something we did just before the first lockdown. Um, yeah, it was obviously something I did earmarked. It was two rooms, but always wanted a, a cinema room, um, TV room, whatever people call it nowadays, and uh, somewhere to put the shirts that the, the wife doesn't see it out in the normal <laughs> yeah. part of the house. So, uh, yeah, it's a little treat. Come and watch football and uh, films, and that's good. Oh, that's superb. What's your go-to film? What are you putting on? Oh, go-to film... <laughs> The problem is it's a long one. My um, my favourite is The Godfather. Is it? So if I, my go-to film is The Godfather, right. but obviously it's <laughs> two hours or four hours or six hours or eight hours. So it can be a long one, but uh, probably like A Wolf of Wall Street or something like yeah. that probably. So yeah, yeah. it's Disney films at the minute. Nice. Kids, so, uh, Take that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. I used to watch Wolf of Wall Street every time. Like, if I was having a bit of a lull, I used to work in the city in sales. Oh, so right, yeah, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street on yeah. <laughs> get back in the yeah, game. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, love that. Yeah, it'll bring you back up. Yeah. When you're looking around this room then, I mean, mm. you, you've got the Robbie Fowler shirt on yeah. it in the yeah. wall as well, but when you're looking around at your own shirts, which mm. is your favourite? Um, favourite one, I think it probably, uh, it's a toss-up. It's such a tough one. I think it's probably the Carlin Cup win uh, it's probably the Carling Cup shirt yeah um, it probably just edges uh, the Portland Timbers the MLS Cup mm. uh, win um, like I say it's a hard one because both teams we were sort of massive underdogs uh, went into it sort of grafting working hard um, but obviously you know the Carling Cup League Cup whatever it's named now mm. um, <laughs> Carabao Cup is sort of a, obviously a major trophy obviously being from England and, and doing it that way so it's probably, probably that it tips it over the over the edge. Yeah, amazing. What was that day like then? I'm unreal. Yeah, amazing. Obviously, the build-up, obviously I'd seen, um, you know, like Football Focus or Match of Days and you see the build-up where people, you know, they're getting the tickets done or speaking to the wives or families and making sure everyone's all right and all that and you book into a hotel and you get your suits all done. So that was, that part of it, the build-up was unbelievable. So even that was great. Uh, but to win it was just, you know, sort of a, a huge, massive bonus. Um, Does that put more pressure on you? Like, you know, with the whole build-up and getting the suits mm. on and the day, you know, you walk out on the pitch beforehand, you yeah. see all the players going yeah. out. It, no, it doesn't because obviously we were massive underdogs against Arsenal. So it was sort of, it was a, it was a free hit yeah. for us. Um, you know, other, other teams, it might have been a bit different, but it was a free hit for us. So we all went into it like, you know what, just, just, just go out and just give our best. And that's sort of, that's what we did. And we, we really enjoyed the whole experience where I think it was the opposite for Arsenal. They just It was sort of another game for them, which I think played now to, into our hands. Yeah. I'm an Arsenal fan, by the way. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we can keep talking all day long. <laughs> Wasn't it the, ga the game where... Um, Koscielny. Uh, Kish yeah, Koscielny. Yeah. And, um, um, oh, uh, wow. wasn't Fabianski. It was... Um, his name he's now, at Roma now, no? He's, he's a, yeah, he's at Roma. Chesney. Chesney. Chesney, yeah. Howler. Yeah, yeah. Really good goalkeeper. Now at Roma. <laughs> but yeah, the Howler, yeah. I mean, obviously they both got mixed up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether either of them called or, you know, the crowd or whatever, but yeah, both mixed up. Somehow sort of spilled out to Oba and then Oberfemi Martin's day was, was born. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, unbelievable feeling. Yeah. My brother's an Arsenal fan Is or he? claimed to be an Arsenal fan back in the day yeah. and... Uh, 
lot of Arsenal fans that I know it was obviously yeah was he just a fan of whoever you were playing against yeah I think <laughs> yeah it wouldn't surprise me to be fair he was Arsenal fan as a, as a kid and I was an Ian Wright fan as a kid as mm. well so didn't support Arsenal but loved Ian Wright but he was a massive Arsenal fan as a kid but sort of as I played he sort of grew away from from Arsenal and and so didn't really support him but still it was nice to know someone sort of Arsenal-ish <laughs> yeah it was was amazing like I say it's yeah, right up there. You know, making my debut obviously is is right up there. But I think you know a major honour. You always dream of make make you know winning something major. But some people have gone through you know better careers than I have had and not won a major trophy. So it's you know it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, well you've had an unbelievable career, so mm, I definitely don't it. don't uh, be hard on yourself. Yeah. There. <laughs> um, where did it all start then? Where did you grow up? And you came through the Villa ranks, didn't you? But where, yeah. where did it begin? Uh, yeah, so I grew up South London, Bexleaf, um, and then playing like Sunday League round there, uh, Long Lane, Villa Court, uh, sort of won all the trophies and, you know, I played as centre forward at that point, scoring all the goals and doing all that. Um, and then I was in West Ham Academy from the age of eight. Um, I used to go to a Charlton soccer school they used to have down at Sparrows Lane. So I used to go to a Charlton soccer school there. Mum used to throw me there, you know, six weeks holidays were packed lunch as you do and chuck me down there. I think that was from about age of six, maybe. Uh, obviously, she was at work. My old man was at work. So I used to go at age of six. Charlton wanted to sign me at six. I know. The old man was like, nah, it's far too early. Six or seven wanted to sign me. Old man was like, no, it's far too early. You ain't signing into football like that. Nowadays... You know, that, that's that's natural. You know, it would be a surprise if people turn it down. So a year later, West Ham then come calling and he was like, well, yeah, okay, then everyone else seemed to have signed, you know, Arsenal, Cholton, West Ham, you know, them sort of teams at, at that point. So it was like, okay, so signed at West Ham. Um, amazing. Used to go train, you know, twice a week at Chadwell Leaf and things like that and play. Loved it. Uh, but got to about 14 and sort of just needed something different. 14, 15, needed something different. I used to hang around on the streets like most people, you know, kicking a football around while lads were smoking and things like that and drinking at that age. And I was, oh, I had a football under my arm. I just felt I needed something different sort of to further my career and sort of fo focusing on it. And Villa come around and uh, moved into digs and, you know, sort of that's where it started. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean... It's so fascinating to hear and interesting you're saying as well now, it's normal mm. for six, seven-year-olds to be picked up and signing yeah. contracts and stuff. It's yeah. crazy. But what do you think separated you from other footballers and kids who are playing the sport? Because everyone plays it, right? Yeah, of course. But what yeah. made you stand yeah, out Yeah, I mean, I, difficult. But I mean, for me, I, I'd say it was, you know, I was I was very aggressive as a, as, as a player. You know, I used to not shirk any tackles. Obviously, I was a centre-forward Early on, I got moved back into central midfield. I used to play central midfield as a two. So I was box to box, scoring goals, smashing people, enjoying that. So maybe that sort of stood me apart of a lot of people. Always talked. You know, I was a talker on a pitch. Um, you know, people used to tell me to shut up and, you know, things like that. So maybe that's what stood stood me above the rest, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, it sort of carried, carried me through my career. Mm, it's so interesting. When I used to go to trials, mm. it used to be one of the biggest things. Is, is, yeah. If you're talking, you're probably yeah. going to get through to the next round. <laughs> Just on that alone. Yeah, I mean, I, I bring it up now. You know, I do work with Villa uh, 14s and 18s while I'm obviously assistant manager coach at, at Dover. So um, I bring up all the time about talking and certainly with the younger ones, if someone's watching a senior pro or a manager, the first team manager, first team coach, if you're the one talking, they're going to notice you. They're going to be like, 
who's this kid, right? Like, he's going to go and ask the manager, who's he who keeps talking? It then gives them the name of that player. I won't never forget that. So I took that. My dad, you know, encouraged me to do that and made me realise that there's always someone watching. So that's what I try and encourage the kids and the senior pros to do it, still do it now. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's superb. It's funny. I like, well, I, I played at Northampton Town Academy. Yeah, right. Okay. Younger, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was a striker, actually, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember the, my, the last trial, I was put at left back because there's no other positions. Right, yeah, yeah. Left footed. I'm right for it. Oh, right, okay. Dennis <laughs> yeah. Lerwin, there you yeah, go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, because actually it turned out all right because you get so much time on the ball back there. Yeah, of course, yeah, You yeah, could yeah. actually do something yeah, yeah. a little bit You can see different. the whole pitch from there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just like chatting away and that's how, that's how I got through that. But yeah, I think it's I think that goes in any industry as well though. Absolutely. If you communicating. Yeah, you yeah, I think so. It, it, it helps other people. You know, communicating is, is a massive thing. I, I, I get that everybody isn't, you know, a massive talker, you know, like that, like that you know, comfortability is tough for people but in any line of work in life I don't know your missus wife you know any 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 certainly what we've seen over the last you know year or so you know communication and talking to people is is paramount I think and it helps so taking that onto the pitch and in within football yeah it was sort of come sort of natural to me which obviously helped me a lot yeah, it's interesting in teams as well, like that. If there's no communication, there's, mm. there's just no messaging going around the team. <laughs> you've, like. got, you've got no chance. <laughs> yeah. You've literally got no chance. It's hard. If you've got no one or, you know, no one talking, you know, are you going to get the ball? You know, for one, are you going to get the ball? Are you going to organise people? Um, so, yeah, it's it's, fa it's fascinating to me now I'm on the other side in coaching to sort of stand there in training sessions and no one says a word. And you think... How are you even going through the game? I don't even know how you even get the ball if you don't say nothing. So it's, yeah, it's just take, sort of, I, I just try and help the boys of like, take every opportunity you can because it'll, it'll, yeah. it'll go like a flash. Do you think it's a game that suits the extrovert more than the introvert? Like that kind of outwardly, like that sort of personality? Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I definitely think so. I think it's something that, you know, football, you know, you see the walk, walks like and the people that, that sort of surround themselves with football. I certainly... Back in the day, a lot more than now, you know, you, you had a lot more like that, you know, a lot more, um, you know, people that talked and, and things like that way. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's, it's it's tough to put your finger on it, but obviously, you know, it's just trying to help people and, you know, talking. I think yeah. it's just a, sort of an easier way of going about life. And you've been a captain for quite a lot of your career as well at different clubs. Yeah, yeah, I was obviously... Uh, Captains, obviously, when I went first went to Birmingham, Steve Bruce made me captain there. Um, he might have been helping me out with the fans, obviously, the crossover from Villa to Birmingham. <laughs> so he yeah. made me captain. Damien Johnson, that injured at the time. Um, Nigel Spinks actually came up to me. When we were, it was our first game against Chelsea. He came up to me and said, the gaffer's making you captain. I was like, sorry? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I've just come from Villa. Now he's making me captain. So, yeah, it was. A, I, I, love, I, I loved it, obviously, and that was probably the first real time of being a captain in a senior sort of dressing room. I'd done it through the Villa ranks and things like that and reserves, but sort of to do it first team wise and then obviously captaining the Timbers as well. So yeah, something I, I sort of loved. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your captaincy and mm. also your move from Villa to yeah, Birmingham yeah, as well yeah. later on. Uh, I just want to go back into like what separated you. So obviously mm. when you made that step up again, yeah. You know, you can get noticed in trials and in mm. soccer schools and stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. on the summer holidays. But, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, when you go into digs and you go to Villa mm. and then you're playing with players at a much better level, mm. 
was it the same things that were standing out? Your aggression, your like willingness to go into a tackle and, and then your willingness to talk? Was it the same traits that made yeah, you stand out? Yeah, I think so. I think it was always something that, you know, it was sort of ingrained in me from my old man, you know, sort of just to do what you're good at. Um, you know, I'd given up a lot, you know, to go and do what I, you know, to follow my dreams of got to Aston Villa. I'd given up house parties and nights out, you know, what people were doing at 14, 15. I was travelling up to Birmingham and going up there and staying over weekends at 14, 15. So I'd given it up. And I'd given it up to try and make something of my of my life and my career. Um, and then going into digs and playing against sort of senior pros or up against, it didn't really make a difference who I was up against. Uh, I remember uh, Ken McDonald, our reserve team manager, we played in a practice game against the first team, as, we, as most people would do on a Friday, corners, free kicks, and normally you're a mannequin. Uh, but this training session, they were playing out from the back and we had to press them, we pressed them higher. They played through, played through, got a midfield, won their midfields in the, in the midfield, and I'd stepped out centre half. I don't know if it was Lee Hendry, it might have been. And I'd, as he turned, I'd smashed him. <laughs> Obviously, they've got a Premier League game next day. <laughs> I'd absolutely whacked him. Kev McDonald had said to us before we did the, the, the training session if you're good at tackling, tackle. If you're good at scoring goals, score goals. If you're good, whatever you're good at doing, show the manager you can do it. So I took that to the extreme. And as he turned, I smashed him. Suddenly we're all in a ruckus and it's like... But like I said, it, it's something that you might be able to remember for. It might have been the end of my career. You know, manager would be like, who's this, you know, chumped up little kid trying to, you know, do whatever he did. But it didn't, you know, I think it was Graham Taylor at the time, didn't take it that way. He sort of, I think it sort of helped my career in that case. And, you know, it was something I didn't really fear whoever I was up against. I didn't fear what dressing room I was going into or what training session. I just took it upon myself just to do the best I could. That's brilliant. He's just, yeah, he's allowed you to be yourself, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And he, he, you know, he said it to everybody, you know, the centre-forwards, you know, if you if you get a chance, it was, it was if the ball rebounded off a goalkeeper, for instance, most people would just take the ball and we'll go start again. He didn't have that. He was like, no, put it in the back of the net and smash the ball as hard as you can. The, the the goalkeeper would moan. He'd say, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, it's just training. But he'd say, no, you finished the ball in the back of the net. Even if it's smashing him in the face, make sure you do it. So that's what he, he sort of instilled in us going through. So it sort of, you know, my old man instilled that into me and then it sort of went through again with Villa. Yeah, It's funny because he, he's basically saying play to your strengths, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and that is... I mean, that's life, isn't it? You know, as well, you know, in any work, if you're good at something, you're not going to be good at everything. You know, I wasn't quick, so I had to try and do something else. So, you know, there's something that you're not going to be great at in your career or in life. So you need to try and hype up the really good things to try and smooth over or hide yeah. the not-so-good the not so good things. So, you know, <laughs> and that goes with every job, I, I think, in everyday life. I had a mentor. I don't speak to him as, as much, sadly, anymore, but... I met with him early on on this journey with Take right. Flight and yeah. uh, I, I went and sat down with him. And at the time I had the events in the podcast. Mm. So we did like live panel events and stuff as well, right, which yeah. went alongside this. And I said to him, right, I've got all these plans, mate. What should I do? I want to build this goal setting app. I want to yeah, build yeah. this gratitude journal. I want to do like all these, I just yeah, mapped yeah, out yeah. like the dream of <laughs> yeah, yeah, what this yeah, Take the, Flight yeah, world yeah. was, yeah. I was going to call it. And he just said, what are you doing? He's like, what's working now? I said, the yeah. podcast and the events. He's like, mm. just double down on that. Mm. It's the same same message essentially. Isn't same it? thing. It don't sp sort of spread yourself too wide. It, you know, in your job, it's sort of just double down on what you're really good at, and why not smash at that? You know, and so I took that 
into my career of like, right, we're well, good at talking, right? Talkers, you know, I used to come up against other people, loud people like that. And if they were louder, I'd try and talk louder than them. And it <laughs> would you? be like a game. That's the sort I'd, I'd use that in the match and try and do that even more, you know. And uh, so, or if someone else was good, at, you know, like tackling people in midfield, I'd think, right, I've got to get him first before he gets me. So it was sort of a mini game within a game. But yeah, it was a bit mad, really. I think that's an amazing mindset to have, though. Like I'd, yeah. I used to do a similar thing in the city when I'd, I'd left football and I'd yeah. got into working full-time. And it wasn't necessarily a competition on how loud I could be, but mm. I certainly every time I felt uncomfortable with someone yeah. who I looked at as a senior person with more experience, I, I took that on as like, yeah. I, I'm not going to be scared of confrontation. I'm right, going to yeah. use this as like an mm. opportunity to grow and get better yeah, and yeah. get used to that feeling right, of like yeah. speaking it's, to people who I thought I can... It's see. an amazing thing, I think, even, to, even for people to notice that. I think, you know, for you to notice uh, and other people, for them to notice, actually even notice it. I think a lot of people don't even notice it, then they it's lost. But people to actually recognise you think, actually, do you know what? You know, he's top dog, you know, sort of, I'll try and do better than what he's doing. You know, it's sort of a, Christ, it's like a bar fight where someone goes and picks the biggest guy and right, I'll beat him up sort of thing. I'm not saying go and do that. But, it's it, you know, you think, well, you know, that that's what you want to try and emulate and you want to be better than that person. And it's self-awareness, isn't it, of knowing like mm. who is in that position. That's right. Who, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy, uh, crazy thing to think of. But you know, that was sort of my mindset. You know, sort of through all the way through through life, and I suppose still is now. Really, I'd love to hear your opinion on how I feel outside looking in. Professional mm. footballers are. Mm. I suppose their true personalities are oppressed in a certain way. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to say certain things in media interviews. They're mm. always saying the same thing, you know, I'm just happy yeah. for the three points or whatever yeah. that, that yeah. strap yeah. line is. It is. It is. You, you know, you have media training. So you're told what to say, you know, and I, I think nowadays a lot of people are robots. You know, it's difficult to get their true personality across. And when they don't get their true personality across, then people complain about that. Then people complain that they're too much on Instagram or whatever platform they use. So don't be too much. Don't be too little. So what? You just want the boys to be robots and way through. You, that's not football. That's not life. And you don't get the different characters within football that you need to make a team work or to make the league work or, or to for people to enjoy. So it's a lot is robotic nowadays and it's a shame because everything's scrutinised. Um, pretty much why I left to go to America. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like that side of it anymore. And, uh, you know, I think nowadays it is, it's sort of, how was the game? Yeah, it was good. You know, like, how do you think you feel you did? Well, yeah, I think the team done really well. Well, the question is, how did you do? You know, sort of them types of things where people want, you know. So I think the Mika Richards of this world who've got onto Sky Punditry and things like that have really brought a freshness to it. And people actually think, oh, do you know what? No, we like that different side of it. The laughing side does not stand there and just give an opinion. They, they want to see a little bit more. So I think it is very robotic, but I think hopefully, you know, it start people start to come around to it a little bit more. The Peter Crouches as well. The Peter Crouches, yeah. yeah you know, the Peter Crouches, the Jimmy Bullards. Yeah. You know, them them types of characters that you need. Yeah, you don't want them all across the TV because we probably wouldn't even get anything done. <laughs> we wouldn't finish an episode. But you need them different characters for people to see different people because there are people out there that I like that. Mm -hmm. They're a bit crazy. Like, you know, they like to have a bit of fun. They like to mess around. If they keep seeing these people that are just giving one-word answers and just normal way, they'll think, well, I'm something different. You know, I'm not so sure I can sort of 
express myself. So it's good good for that to to be out there. I think from a player's perspective as well, like moving away from the pundits, mm. like they should be allowed to enjoy themselves and celebrate. You know, when you see yeah. the lights of, again, as I'm an Arsenal fan, yeah, like yeah. Joe Willett went to, he's on loan at Newcastle yes. and scored on his yeah. debut. Yeah. He, he should be allowed to enjoy yeah. that and really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I say. You know, like even booking someone for taking their shirt off, yeah. you know, and, or jumping into the crowd, you know, that they're the things that people dream about, mm. you know, dream of doing. You know, so it, to take that stuff away and sort of make the players robotic that they've just got to score. I can't wait for someone to score in the World Cup final and just walk back to the halfway line. And people will complain. Mm. You know, they'll go, well, why didn't you... It's the best day of your life. Well, because you don't want me doing... Jumping <laughs> into the crowd. You're going to yell a card at me. I'll take my shirt off. Or doing something I would want to do, have done. I would love to see that. It'd be amazing because people <laughs> would be uproar. But, you know, it's just one of the things. Do you think that footballers can't win either way? They can't, no, no. I mean, you know, listen, you're a lot of us a lot of us or footballers are in a privileged place. So people put them in that place. But at the end of the day, they're still still human. They're still only, you know, kids that dreamt to being a footballer and, you know, doing what they wanted in wanted to do in life. So it's it's a shame that they sort of can't you can't enjoy it. And I don't think you can enjoy it nowadays as much as you, you should be able to. Sad, isn't it, with the sacrifice mm. that goes into it? You talked yeah. about the sacrifice yeah. going to digs and what you yeah. miss out on, and yeah. and even the sacrifice like day to day as well. Yeah. If you can't yeah. fully enjoy, well, no, no, that's what you know. You, you can't fully enjoy it. You know, it, uh, if you go to the pub on a Friday night, your local pub that you've been going to the whole your life, and then suddenly you make it into the first team. If you go to the pub and have, I don't know, half a glass of wine and something to eat, someone takes a picture of you. People will think you've been out on a bender all all, all week, all, all you know, all weekend. Yeah. If you have a bad game, if you play a good game, they won't care. Yeah. Because that's that's that differentiary part of it. That if you have a bad game, that's because of it. Mm. But you might have been doing that your whole your career. That doesn't affect it. You know, you've got to be able to, you know, feel natural and feel you. You know, and that will bring out the best in people. So it, it's a shame that people have to sort of suppress that and not be able to do it. Do you think there's an impact on like your identity? You know, like mm. if you if you identify with yourself as a footballer mm. and yeah. then you have a bad game, mm. that impacts your mood and you know, talk about mental health and all that other stuff. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think I only got I was a bad one after a game. I was I was terrible. Um after a game I would well, it started on a Thursday probably. I'd go back on a on a on a Friday, I'd close all the curtains, all the doors. Uh, you know, no one would be allowed rounds, no one would be allowed in because I had a game the next day. Now, you know, that was just sort of something that I took upon myself to do and I felt like if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't play well, which is crazy. But that's what I did after a game. If I'd lost, if I had all my mates in the car, I wouldn't even answer questions from them. They, they ended up saying, like, don't ask any questions. So we'd drive in silence after a game. <laughs> and we've just lost a game. It ain't... You know, life or death, we just lost the game. But when I went to America, I realised that wasn't the be or end all. I could still enjoy it, even though we'd lost. It didn't make, it didn't, it wasn't a massive impact, unless it was obviously we'd missed out on something. What had changed? My mindset. My mindset had completely changed of, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'd spent so much of time of sort of being anxious about it and worrying about it and thinking, right, if I don't do this, go home on a Friday afternoon, close the curtains and no one come around and just watch TV mm. and then, you know, do all that. I won't play well. I still play bad. I played well, but I still play bad. 
So when I went to America, the sort of the mindset changed and went, do you know what, I'm just going to enjoy myself. And I'd probably say that's probably where I probably enjoyed my football the most. In America? I'd say so, yeah, yeah because I'd sort of, my mindset had changed of like, I'm going to enjoy myself. If I want a couple of glasses of red on a Friday night, I'm going to. What, and play on a Saturday? Still play on Saturday. Yeah. It didn't affect me. It didn't make a difference. You know, so it, it, I took that on and, you know, we won a championship. We got to a final as well. So then a couple of glasses of red wine, say, if I wanted on a Friday night, it didn't make a difference. Mm. Didn't do anything to me. But I wouldn't have done that at home playing the Premier League because my mindset and I was too worried about it that it would affect my game. Mm. It's funny. So I... I um, actually went and played football in America, right? Uh, NCAA, yeah, yeah, so yeah, college, yeah, in Ohio, right? Okay, I've also been on holiday to yeah. Oregon, right? Yeah, okay, oh wow, yeah, it's amazing, Quite, yeah, <laughs> absolutely love it there, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, interested to hear, like you mentioned earlier, that you basically fell out of love with mm. football by yeah. the sounds of it, yeah. Like, so, what happened there, and then how did that go from you noticing and picking up on that, mm. like what had happened to trigger it, and then yeah. actually making the move? Like, mm-hmm. how do you sort of broker a deal to get over into the MLS? So, yeah, it was my last year at West Brom. Listen, I love football. Like, it's like That goes without saying. It was the be- best thing ever. My last year at West Brom didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. The te- team was getting sort of split up. Uh, the manager, we changed about three times, I think it was. Uh, and I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't even watching football. Sky Sports, didn't have it on. Games during the week. Didn't have it on. My mates used to come around. Um, used to, oh, we're watching this game? No. I used to watch cookery programs. I used to watch gardening programs. Yeah, I enjoy them, but I didn't watch football. I couldn't stand it. I thought, why do I even watch? So then I was going out and playing. That's no good. You know, you can't, you, you've got to love it. So I come to my end of my time at West Brom. Um, they didn't want to renew my contract at that time, which was absolutely fine. I was looking to get a move back to London. Fine. Um, so I'd gone to Vegas on my 30th with the lads, as you do, uh, celebrated there. First day I got there, my agent rang me and said, oh, Portland Timbers want to sign you. So, yeah, they were looking for a left-sided centre-half. Um, so I'm a probably fifth down, the tr- fifth down the list of left-sided centre-halves in the Premier League. So uh, finally they whittled their way down to me. Which who, was, who was above you? Joan Lescott, left centre-half at that time. So I never, they never told me, never found out. So I know they were going for someone before myself. Anyway, so that was their their, their sort of criteria. Um, and then obviously I got a phone call. First day, landed in Vegas, literally got down the tarmac, got a phone call from my agent, Portland Timbers want to sign you. Now, for myself, never watched MLS at that time. Everyone we knew Bex had gone to Galaxy, but no one really watched it. We certainly didn't have it on TV. And I was like, who? He was like, look on the map. They're sort of an hour and a half above you. <laughs> so... Uh, at that point, I was like, okay. He said, they'll fly you up, show you around. You can have a look around. If you don't like it, you just fly home. They'll fly you home. Anyway, did four days in Vegas, as you do. Hammered, you know. So I fly up to, to you know, to Portland. They picked me up. The geezer's like, woof, good four days. Fantastic. <laughs> Looked around, uh, met the owner, met the GM. You know, f- now for me, that was the first time I'd ever, ever done that. I'm 30 years of age. First time I'd ever met the owner, the GM. Um the head scout or coach and the manager, we all sat down in the room and they asked me my sort of like aspirations of sort of how my career wants to fit, you know, sort of go on and what I wanted out of it. And then before we finished, and I asked them and they were like, well, we want to bring a, you know, a team that can win the MLS cup, 
uh, and move the team on. I sort of like, right, okay, that fits in and what I what I want to do. You know, I didn't want to go there and finish my career. I was 29 going on 30. Uh, you know, I wanted to sort of grab a team by the scruff of the neck and sort of go on. Anyway, so I think that was probably my sort of mindset of getting there. It was a fresh new place. No one sort of, they didn't necessarily know me. Um, and it was just fresh and new and something I could really, I thought, you know what, just go and enjoy it. Enjoy the experience and see what you can get out of it and try and make this club someone on the map that then people talk about. So I think that's where the mindset changed. And, you know, it was it was amazing meeting, you know, the owners and that first time I've ever done that. And I felt like a, felt like a star. Yeah, I'd played in the Premier League, but I felt like a star, like a Wayne Rooney at Main United or David Beckham. I suddenly felt like, oh, you know, this is something I can sort of work with the GM and the owner and the manager to try and make the team better. And, you know, that was probably the mindset that probably changed me and thought, just jump jump into it. It's so important to interview them as well, like yeah. in that sense. I, yeah. I think people, again, away from football, you can do that. If you are asking yeah. questions to them as well, it makes uh, them think. And Yeah, because then you know what they want as well. Mm. You know, you know, they might be asking you what you want or what you want to do. Um, but asking them, their, you know, their goals might not marry up with yourself, you know. And that that is sort of, you know, if their goals was when I got there, just, to, well, you know, we're not really sort of investing in a team and, you know, we're not really at that point. Would I sign? Probably not. You know, it would have been a real struggle because I would just gone out there for two and a half years at that point of just what plodding along and sort of, you know, the way I am, I want to try and make people better. I would have been screaming and hollering at a team and players that really wouldn't have made a difference. So it's good to ask them. It only come to me at the end of the interview or sort of the chat. I weren't going to ask them. And I thought, actually, you're asking me all that question. Joe, what? I'm going to ask you as well Mm -hmm. and let's see what your answer is. So I think in everyday life, I think, you know, you should ask people because you should ask a question. You should be able to ask. And it, it sort of goes back to sort of, making people, ro- you know, how robotic people are, they just answer the questions, but they don't put one back to people. So mm. I think it's, it, it certainly works. And their goal was to win the MLS, which you did yeah. year one. Yeah, yeah, right? year one. Yeah, <laughs> obviously I I joined in the July. Their season obviously only runs till sort of December if you get in the playoffs. Uh, they'd had a, had a tough start, uh, so we missed out on the playoffs, but the first full season I was there, yeah, we, we won it, which was... Yeah, obviously, uh, amazing. <laughs> and they they called it the the David Beckham effect, but is it really yeah. the, the Liam Ridgeville effect? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be able to lay claim to that. Uh, <laughs> what, what years were you there? Uh, so I was there from, uh, well, I did four and a half years in the end. Yeah. So I, I went in 14 and left in uh, 18. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I think I was there uh, 11 to 13. Right, okay, And at yeah. the time I was there, it was like, it was known there weren't stadiums for every club and all yeah. that sort of stuff, but it was yeah. really starting to get mm. much bigger. Yeah. And of course, Portland Timbers were, and still are, probably one of the most well-supported clubs or probably the most well-supported club in yeah, the US. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say so. If they could fit 90,000 in there, or if they had 90,000, they'd fit in there. Mm. You know, they've, I don't know how many years waiting list they've got, um, but the fans are amazing. They don't, I spoke to, I was speaking to someone the other day and they, they asked the difference between fans back home and fans there. The massive difference that I took from it was they try and entertain the players instead of the enter- players trying to entertain the fans. Mm. When they come to a game, they want to entertain the fa- players to try and G them up to get them going. So even I was there and they were losing 2-0 against Dallas. Half-time, they come in from the, in players went in through a tunnel. Now, 
people can only imagine what would happen back home, booing, trucking stuff, whatever. There, they were cheering them. They were, they were actually cheering them. And I turned to, turned to the owner and I went, they do this all the time. He's like, absolutely. He said, you could be losing 4-0 and they'll still be cheering. They came out and drew 2-2. Now, them fans g them players up. They got the 2-2. And when they say it actually was a fan, it was a fans. You know, they're, they're, their players could have gone in thinking, oh, no. You know, that's all I need. But they were singing all the way through halftime. They're singing. And so they try and entertain the players and to perform on the pitch where here... I think they they wait to be entertained. You know, we talk about the first shot, the first cross, the first header to try and g up the the crowd. There, they don't wait for that. They're singing. They get in the ground two and a half hours before. They're intense before they can even get in. So it's they're amazing. Yeah, they they really are. Yeah, the culture over there is just completely different. I love mm. it. it yeah. uh, you know, every sport from basketball, American football, yeah. like, it's just superb. And mm. if you compare, well, what you're talking about there about waiting to be entertained over here. Like, yeah. you know, at Arsenal, it started really, is booing, booing them at half-time. Yeah, yeah, which, which it, it doesn't help anyone. It literally doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the person booing, because why do you want to pay money? You're paying money to go somewhere to boo. Mm. What's the point? Yeah. Your own demeanour or your own mindset is negative, so you're already, you're already like, oh, so you're not even going to enjoy your day. So you're not enjoying your day out, and you're paying to go. To then decide that you want to ruin your own day, I don't get it. You know, so and then it's not going to help the team or the players to perform well or the manager. So then you've got a double double negative effect if that's even a thing. But then what's the point in the day? You might as well stay at home, watch it on the TV, and boot at the TV. You're not paid for it. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to add up now. Why yeah. your favourite time was over, <laughs> yeah. over in the states? Yeah, that's right. What What was your favourite part? What did you love about it? I like the, the the freedom of it. And uh, you could be yourself, you know, you could really enjoy it. Um, you know, you could go out and, and have something to eat that people, you know, uh, they'd. I, I sort of compared it to, I know it's another drink thing, but someone would come over and buy you a beer or buy you a drink mm. uh, instead of expecting one sent over. You know, yeah. someone would come over and, and do that for you or come and, you know, pay for your dinner and not expect anything of it or sort of, not that it doesn't happen here, but it was sort of the freedom of it, you know, I could sort of just not gonna let myself go, but just, you know, just enjoy the full part of being a footballer. Yeah. Where here you you had to watch where you were going. Mm. You had to watch if someone's got a phone on you that they're doing an Instagram video or taking pictures of your kids or or watching what you're doing or taking pictures of your car so they know what your car is. You di- I didn't I didn't feel that there. Uh and it didn't it didn't happen. So it was something I could really enjoy and sort of just yeah, just just be a bit freer, really. It's, it's something to do with their sort of patriotism, isn't it? It's like it's yeah. that they they love people who are successful. Mm. It's different yeah. to over here, where it, there's almost an attitude sometimes when people are doing well, like, yeah. well, how come you're doing that and I'm not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas over there, they want to lift people up that do well. They're saying, yeah. like, fair play, and I yeah. love that. Mentality. Yeah, they they sort of celebrate them them doing well. Now, I think we've got a tendency to big people up to get them to the top and go, they're there now. Mm. When do we knock them off? Yeah. You know, when do we go for them? Where do we? Yeah. So I think that's a shame. I don't know, you know, how that become that way, but it wasn't like that while I was in, in Ogre and they're not like that. They celebrate mm-hmm. the people doing well. And, you know, the city revolves around, you know, the Timbers and the Blazers, you know, and it was, you know, sort of all within the city to make sure that everything's geared up for the weekends yeah. and during the week. And they were just amazing people to be around and sort of the mindset of people it was amazing, you yeah. know, 
everyone's smiling, everyone's, you know, in a good mood, you know, next door neighbor, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. someone walking down the street, how are you doing? And <laughs> so they they sort of fall all into it really. Did you go and watch the Trailblazers? I did, yeah. I used to go all the time. Yeah. I used to love it. I went remember going to the first game and I got there as you do would he he would do, you get an hour before. So I'd got go got there an hour before. Uh, the boys went, all right, we can go an hour before. We had a few drinks. When sat down half an hour before, watching the warm ups, thinking, yeah, this is brilliant. And they're like, all right, okay. I'm thinking, where is everybody? Like, no one's even sitting down. Yeah. First quarter, no one's still not there. Second quarter, I'm thinking, got to get busy soon. Like, where where is everybody? He's like, right, let's go see. It was all up in the bar. They obviously didn't come out to the fourth quarter that when it really got exciting. So everyone still stood up in the gantry. And I'm sitting there thinking, hey, this is quite so. Yeah, and May like we used to go probably weekly. It was, Did it, you? Was, it was brilliant. Obviously the playoff games were, were massive. Yeah, they got the playoffs, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, it was something it was really enjoyable. I went I went into basketball before that. Certainly went into NFL, but mm. they sort of entice you in. Yeah, such a great sport. Yeah, da- was, yeah. Damien Iliad? Lillard. Lillard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Damien Unreal. Lillard, obviously. Did you meet some franchise? Of yeah, met him a few times. Yeah. Um, McC- um McCullen, CJ McCullen, another one that yeah. obviously is a, a big star out there. He actually got a shirt for my little girl oh, nice. and, and written on it and signed it for her. Uh, so we, it was sort of a family experience when we used to go, which is amazing. So, mm. and obviously the Timbers, uh, Mike Gullop of the Timbers, um, one of the directors used to got, get his tickets. So it was amazing sort of to take the whole family and yeah. sort of like enjoy the night. Oh, what an experience. Yeah, man. it was. Yeah, 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 it was. <laughs> I want to go back, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm interested to know from actually a bit of a selfish perspective, I coach a lot of people who are, in the public eye, really, mm. who feel judgment and scrutiny mm. with what they do probably yeah. daily, whether that's online through trolling yeah. or in, you know, your more modern media tabloids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So how would you advise people who have had a lot of scrutiny, a lot of judgment, a lot of negativity? I know you obviously moved from Villa to Birmingham and there was a yeah. lot of heat around that and various other yeah. stuff that we might talk about in a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like whether it's controversial or just doing what they are doing day to day. Yeah. How, how did you cope with it? Yeah, so I took it as as a positive for me that I sort of um, it was going to further my career. What I was, you know, what I was needing to do. So I I ignored it. I didn't see it. You know, I, I don't know what one it come onto, but I didn't I didn't notice it. I was sort of tunnel vision of you know what I'm moving from Villa to Blues because I want to play and I want to play as much as I can, um, and that's what I want to do for myself. Were you in a period at Villa where they weren't playing you as much then? Yeah, it was a period of Villa that I was I was playing and then I'd I'd stopped been playing and me and Martin O'Neill were not seeing eye to eye anymore. So the reason I was leaving was, yeah, they wanted me to stay, but it was not doing anything for me. I'd done a hundred plus appearances in the Premier League already, you know, I was what, twenty two, and I wasn't willing to sit back and watch anymore. You know, yeah, I was twenty two and nowadays, you know, a load of people said, You're only twenty two, just just, you know, see how it goes and I'm not that type of person. I just can't sit there and just watch people play and then go, yeah, well done, like great game. Sod that. I'm not. I'm not that. You know, or come in and go, good luck to the person that I'm. I'm with. Probably couldn't be a bad thing, but I. I didn't have that mindset. I didn't want that. I wanted to play. I'd played. I'd tasted it, and so the reason I was making the move was to play more. So I didn't have loads of you know controversial things you know happen to me. But uh, the mindset was, right, okay, you're doing this. 
you're doing it for the right reason. It was sort of tunnel vision, block everything else out. Any trolls or any people didn't affect me. I sort of ignored them. Now, I suppose it's easy for me to say that to people. You know, I've spoke about, you know, mental stuff before and, you know, platforms of, you know, having stuff and people, you know, getting on people's cases and, and making them feel bad. It's easy for me, I suppose, to say just ignore them. You know, delete the app. Don't go on your phone. But that's sort of my mindset, you know, and, and it it probably doesn't hurt, help certain people, but I just think that should be the easiest way to sort of block it out, you know, or speak to people, again, goes back to talking, speak to people, what you're experiencing, what you're going through is a massive one. But mine was tunnel vision, ignoring people. I don't, that doesn't bother me, whatever. But that's discipline, basically, isn't it? That and is that, and yeah. I think that's what yeah. a lot of us don't have in the modern day because... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's too easy to click on that app. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. and then when you do do that, you get in a habit of doing it. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. it's very easy to go down that sort of negative pattern. It is. Yeah. So, and it, um, it, change, it can change your mindset. You know, mm -hmm. it can change what you're doing. You know, in, and you sort of, like you say, you get into a rhythm, you get into this, you know, clicking on that app to, to see what other people are doing. You know, and, and I could have easily done that while I was in America, seeing my mates at home going out and having a good time and, or seeing what they're doing. And, I just, I, I, I looked at it and it was like, well, good for them. Yeah. You know, but it is, like you say, it's discipline. It's sort of mental toughness to try and block that out to go, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm still having fun. You know, like I'm happy. So who cares? <laughs> so, and was that mental toughness? Like you talked about your dad a few mm, times where you said yeah. that's, he like molded you a little bit. Yeah. Is that come from that or? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, look, my, my dad, you know, he, he's, he was, he was, hard on us he, you know he was made sure that we were mentally tough and certainly made me mentally strong that you know you can overcome anything and you know you can do anything you want to do um so you know i'd broken my leg in my career and and you know me injuries and setbacks and things like that you know it ain't all rosy so you have to have that mental toughness and he he, he sort of instilled that into me that really it didn't make, really make a difference what people thought or what they said I didn't really care. You know, if I had to go and knock on the manager's door at 18 years of age and ask why I'm not playing because the first team had lost, I'd go and do that. You know, nowadays, I don't think boys necessarily have that. What a great way to be brought up. I had a similar thing where mm. you're told that you can achieve anything that you mm. put your mind to or yeah. work hard to get to. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about you've got your your children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your little daughter is yeah, running course, in there. Yeah. I've got mine. <laughs> like, I think that's something I would take on as a parent to, yeah. to do the same thing. So yeah. you can do anything that you want. Yeah. It's, it's, as parenting, I think it it's hard. It's it's not hard love, but it's sort of like trying to instill that into them. You know, my boy, is, you know, is the same. He's had setbacks in his footballing career so far, and you know, like sitting there watching him, you know, cry. Or and I did cried when I was younger and when I was injured and couldn't go on football trips. And as you do, but it's sort of you know like trying to get them out of it to try and create that mental toughness. That you know what, everybody has a setback. It's how you bounce back from it. And how you show that you rise above it to to turn it into a positive. Yeah, super. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. We talk about obstacles a lot on this yeah. podcast. Like yeah. that's actually where the gold is. That's where you grow. That's where yeah. you become a better person. And yeah. when you inevitably face it the next time, it feels easier. So yeah, I mean, in everybody's road, there ain't everyone's gonna have a bump in their road. There's always gonna be a little jink. There's always a, something in that line that's gonna take you off track. You know, might be your mates started smoking. They want you to start smoking. No, I don't want that. 
Mm-hmm. It might be they're doing some drugs or going out drinking. No, my goal is, or fo- is focus that. Mm-hmm. There's your jink. Do I? No. And there's always bumps. There's always something that's going to try and take you off your path. So that's where you selfishness is a big one. You need to be selfish and, and disciplined to make sure, make sure you do it. The fork in the road analogy, I think, is so yeah. good because it is like that. There's it a few is. decisions you can make. Is, yeah. There, yeah. is there any that stand out for you that allowed you to get to the success you had? Yeah. My, a big one was obviously as probably 14-year-old. I was 14. Like I said, I was hanging around on the streets back home around the penthouse. Um, the lads were smoking, drinking, um, bongs, you know, things like that. And I was standing there with my football. I was waiting for them to finish what they were doing to go and play football. Um, and I got to an age where... I had choices of, you know, going to house parties um, or, you know, going training and things like that. So that's why I took it upon myself to, to I went to Aston Villa, you know, and I, I, I was banned for a season. I couldn't even play, but I still travelled. My dad still used to drive me to these, these training sessions and to the games. I couldn't play in the games. I just used to do the warm-up and the cool-down. But he used to say, no, you go, you're going, you're part of the team, you show the intent. So... The, the turning point, I think, was probably my mates at that point. They're going on that path. I could have followed that path. I didn't. I was like, right, no, I don't need the house parties. I don't need to do that. My path is to be a footballer, and I'm going to give myself every chance of that. It's absolutely superb, mate. <laughs> what, what are your mates doing now out of interest? Yeah, obviously, lost contact with, with, with quite a lot of them, obviously, you know, as you do when you get older. Um, but, I've, you know, I, I still speak to one every now and again, uh, Ryan, um, and, you know, they're just... I say normal day jobs, but, you know, they're just uh, working in a city and, and things like that mm. um, and getting on with their lives. You know, we've tried to catch up a few times, hasn't worked out. But, yeah, it's it's just something that I chose that path to make sure that I gave myself every opportunity to be a, become a professional footballer. It's not God-given that you're going to, because you miss out on that, that it's going to happen. You know, I could have looked back and thought, I wish I'd done that and not spent five years or six years trying to be a footballer. Yeah. I weren't, that weren't going to happen for me. I was going to make sure that I gave myself every, every opportunity to make it. Yeah. Uh, and then you can always go back and do that if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you can sit in here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your shirts on the wall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Your, your medals and yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, that's something to look back, you know, to look back on. You don't, a lot of people say it until you retire or sort of out the game, you don't realise, because you don't take it for granted, but you're in it. So you're just moving on from game to game, transition, transition, season to season. But it's when you look back and go, oh, oh that's what I did. Oh, there's that shirt. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing that you get. The nostalgia. Yeah, 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 yeah basically, yeah. yeah. How's it been then? So you, did you retire last year or the year before? Last year, last year. yeah, just before uh, just before the first lockdown. Uh, just before the first lockdown. Yeah, do you know what? It's been, it's been brilliant. Has it? Yeah, it has been brilliant. I haven't, I haven't missed it. I haven't missed it. I miss playing football. But I haven't missed uh, missed that side of it. Like the contractual, like commercial yeah. every week, going yeah. and training. Yeah, exactly. Day. Yeah, obviously, you know, going into coaching has probably helped me because I'm still around it. But I haven't missed that part of it. I think football's changed so much from what I knew what it was. Mm. Um, and when I came back from America, um, going up to Hull, which was amazing. Um, but the game, I think, has changed. It's just different. It's more robotic. It's sort of, you know, and I didn't enjoy that. You know, there's no, there's no stealing of wash bags and, you know, putting stupid things in it or, you yeah. know, stealing the cars and, and putting them somewhere else, which <laughs> I enjoyed. So, I, it's, 
just a different game for me, really. That's so good. You know, what? I'm, <laughs> I'm reading um, James Haskell, the rugby player, right, yeah, yeah, at yeah. the minute because he's coming yeah. on the podcast in oh, a couple okay. of weeks. So, and he's talking about the same thing mm. and how that's just mm. like, that's such a huge part of the culture of football and sport. It really is. I yeah. remember like, it's stupid stuff, but getting, um, what's the muscle rub? Oh, DP. DP. Putting your clean boxes afterwards so you yeah. put them on. You're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, lads, come on. Yeah, well, I mean, nowadays, I think people take it to heart. Yeah. You know, they to complain about things like that, you know, and, and things like that. So it's, when I'd come back, that was still going on in the MLS and they still, was still doing it while I was there. And it was still encou- like encouraged. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the captain, so I encouraged it, obviously. <laughs> Were you a bit of an enforcer? Yeah, I mean, I used to muck, <laughs> you know, I used to pull pranks and, you know, people's, you know, Fool's Day, we got Jack Barnby's car towed away. Uh, as a joke to him he was only bothered about his golf clubs in the back of the car which was amazing <laughs> but it was still going on but when I got back um, we had a great dressing room at Hull but obviously people lived away and you know you finished training and that was sort of done you know and uh, that's the way it's sort of going or, or, or I've seen it go and I just it, that's what I really enjoyed about it and I enjoyed being part of the football world for that I think people have spoke about it a lot. Jimmy Bullard and, you know, Bentley have Bentley, spoke about yeah. that that, that yeah. way of it, really. Yeah. I can't meet you without talking about some of the... Because, like, <laughs> fun and banter is, yeah. like, is the core of football. And of course. Yeah. yeah, if it is going out, it's such a shame. But yeah. something that I loved and found hilarious, which I'd like to hear your <laughs> version of, yeah. is... And I don't even know how it happened, but no. there, was a, there was a picture of you yeah. at a time when footballers were getting a lot of heat for making lots of money and all this other stuff. Of course, yeah. And there was a picture of you. You could probably yeah. share what that was. Just like, how did that even get out? And like, what was it like for you? Yeah, obviously um, at that point. So you can explain what the picture is first. Yeah, well, it's me wiping my bottom ass with twenty pound notes, which now somehow has turned to fifty pound notes for some people. Really, hundred pound notes, which ain't even there, <laughs> just to raise up the money. <laughs> so it was a bet between me and my one of my best mates um, over an X Factor. Is it American X Factor came on TV? We were watching it mm. from auditions. I picked out the winner from the auditions. It was a country singer, and I'm like, That geezer's gonna win. He went, No, he ain't. I went, That geezer is gonna win. I'm telling you, he's gonna win. All right, do you want to bet on it? I went, All right. I think it was 300 quid we, we bet. Now, I'm not saying 300 quid isn't a lot of money, but people can, you know, that it, it is a lot of money. Um, it was just the two of you in the just bet. Just the two of us in yeah. the bet. Okay. So uh, it went through. I was even on holiday and he's FaceTime me. He's got through again. He's got through <laughs> again. I can't believe it. Like Actually, I don't think FaceTime's around. Anyway, he's ringing me going, I can't believe he's got through. He's like, he's in the final. And I'm like, shut up. So we did a whole day of the final. Whole day of the final, which was, which was amazing. Um, and then... I'd celebrate by taking my clothes off as well, by the way. He'd won, I'd celebrate with my taking my clothes off. Anyway, so uh, six months, a year later, he suddenly pays me. He thought it was a joke. He thought, I won't go take the money for you. Really? I was like, I'm taking it. You've given me the money. Anyway, he pays me. I'm at a different team. I'm at West Brom. I'm in a different house. It's a year later. Anyway, he chuck- I'm going for a Jimmy Riddle and he chucks it at me. And I'm like, oi, what are you doing? What are you chucking the money? Like, a bet's a bet. He went, right, go away. So obviously then I've turned round, pulled my trousers down because I don't go for Jimmy Riddle like that. Well, I didn't at that point. And now, now I do while I'm older. But <laughs> at that point, I didn't. Pretended to go, yeah, unlucky. He's taken a photo. Now at that point, BBM was around. So we put it on our... BBM group. BBM. Uh, no, just our you know, profile picture. 
it was a BBM thing, like saying, unlucky, Matt, like, you lost. And then Matt's put it on his saying, oh, you done me. Anyway, a year later after that, I get a phone call from my agent saying, oh, this new paper's got a picture of you. And I'm like, what? And it's like, got a picture of you wiping your ass. I'm like, Jonathan, you know me. I'm not like that. You know, I don't do that type of stuff. He's like, okay, I'll send you a photo. He sent me. I'm like, oh. So someone has cropped that picture and a year later then released it to the press um, and then that's come out. Next day I go into training, which then another picture emerges. They've filled my locker full with money and toilet paper and things, you know, which was amazing. But, you know, it's, it's something you live and learn by and something that I've had at Amy appearances in my career and now that that still gets brought up but yeah. it, it's this one in things and it that's sort of the laugh and the joke that nowadays you, you can't do it it was yeah. a joke it wasn't a serious thing and I, I know the worth of money and i've brought up that way but it was a joke to hammer my mate and it suddenly gets turned into something different yeah and mate apologies for bringing it up because this, 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 <laughs> is, this is about performance <laughs> good, in the group because thing. then people get the context of it normally it's just a photo of me wiping my ass and people get the context of, oh, you're just abusing the money. And it wasn't that. It was a joke, which everybody I'm sure has done to their friends, whether it's 50 quid, 100 quid, 1,000 pounds. Everyone's done it. Someone You bet someone in the pub and they've chucked their money over it. You've shown off of it. That's what it was. And sadly, people took it to a level to either make money out of it or to shame me, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, no, mate, thanks for sharing it as yeah, well. Course, it's just yeah. like, it's a, it's a, it sounds like just a joke between friends. Yeah. It emerges yeah. years down the line yeah. and it's one of them, isn't it? Like, I couldn't believe the phone call. And my yeah. mum was in the kitchen making dinner for us and I'm like, shut up. And she's like, and she's like, oh, well, am I going to explain this to my friends at work? And I'm like, I don't know, mum. <laughs> I'm not sure. And we'll say what you need to say. <laughs> so, mate, if we spin it to some of the amazing things that you've done, I mean, you've played... Mm what is it nearly 300 premier league appearances yeah um what was your total career like over 10 years uh yeah it was yeah so uh member debut 19 yeah 20 yeah 29 yeah 10 years yeah yeah, yeah. 10 years yeah. nine clubs yeah yeah well that's a zoom question i gave the boys i think it's really that nine clubs <laughs> that's wikipedia research <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> i'll just be fascinated to hear some of the um players you've played against mm. who stand out to you yeah. now and then also like the traits that for you like make a great centre half. Mm. Like yeah. if people are wanting to be a footballer or whatever yeah. it might be, um, what are the traits that make a great centre half, and who are the people you played against who are great? Uh, so, oh, traits as a centre half. I think. I mean, well, I mean, we touched a lot on it. I think you know, talking. Um, I think is a massive trait. You can see the whole pitch from where you're standing, except for the keeper, which they're back, back crazy. So ignore what they're saying. They're just shouting anyway. But you can see the whole pitch from where you are. So you can literally mastermind the whole game you can help people out and it helps yourself so talking's a massive one i think nowadays you know being comfortable on the ball is is a massive thing i think it's changed around of center halves just booming it and kicking it now i don't i don't i still have the belief of keeping a clean sheet and you, if you need to kick it into rose edge you, you kick it into rose edge but i think you need to be comfortable on the ball um that's not saying that you're not going to kick it long sometimes which you will need to do but it's just being comfortable on the ball. So talking, being comfortable on the ball um, and being a presence, probably being a presence is, is a big one. I think, uh, you know, being a presence, you know, gets one over on the player you're playing up against. Um, it helps you. It makes you feel 10 feet tall um, and, and being confident. So, uh, 
you know, there's, there's loads of finer details that you can go into, but I think they're the major ones that probably will help you in your game and, and you know, help you in your career or, or trying to make a career. And was there anything you did pre-match, like rituals or routines that helped you to get in the right frame of mind? Um, rituals, I used to lay my stuff out on the floor on a towel. I used to go in and put a towel down and then it would be how I'd put everything on. So it'd be lined up. So it'd be, um, I'd have my small socks first, um, tuby grip, shin pads, long socks, tape if I had it, uh, boots either side, flip-flops either side, and I'd, I'd do that before a game. So that was sort of something I'd do, which then, obviously, knowing people, they'd move. So that'd wind me up. So they'd come around and they'd switch stuff around. So it's like, you know, I've got to change that around again. So standard sort of stuff, really. <laughs> you know, something else I wanted to ask you about as well, Reggie, was J. Lloyd Samuel. Yeah. He was a club mate of yours. Mm-hmm. It was such a sad story. Anyway, yeah. were, were you still at Villa when it happened? Or no, I wasn't. No, I'd, um, I'd, I was over in America at the time. Obviously, um, with J Lloyd, I was spent the time with him at Villa. Um, obviously, even being a London boy, I used to travel up with him quite a bit um, and muck around with him, and sort of, you know, sort of didn't take me under his wing. But being a London boy up in Birmingham, you know, speak to him quite a bit. Um, and then getting into the first team, our families used to spend a little bit of time together. So, yeah, it was a, a dreadful sort of thing to happen. And, you know, I didn't even get to be able to go to his funeral because I was over in America. Um, I spoke to Dion a, a bit about it. So it was, yeah, dread, a dreadful thing that, you know, you, it, you just don't, can't comprehend something something happening really like that. Yeah, so it was a car crash, wasn't it? Right? Car crash, yeah. As far as I know, car crash after dropping his little girl at school. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's it's something you don't even really fathom, you know, of even happening. You know, so young as well, it was it was a shocking thing to happen. And and I mean, and Peter Whitnam, same, you know, obviously dying so young, and you know, two great people. Um, that you know, it was a a massive tragedy, really. So like, it takes things like that for us to suddenly think about how lucky we are it, as well. Yeah, it, it does. It, it really does. And you know, because you, you don't think of these things happening so young. You know, the older you get, fair enough, but so young and and you know you, you can't comprehend it really you, do, you can't get your head round round it and you sort of you think back to the times that you had you know me and Pete Whitnam used to share a car going to the under 21s and we used to be roommates you know and yeah we we grew apart because he sort of went in different directions but you still remember these things um you know we've not been able to celebrate his life yet um so that'd be a great thing but you know obviously Jay Lloyd I miss that but you know, such a such a great player and such a great person as well. Yeah, no, thanks for talking about it. Yeah. Mate. It's um But obviously from the mental side of it, oh, you know, going on to that, there are the setbacks in life, you know, in life. You know, that's not anything part of football. There are setbacks in life that, you know, like I said, you, you celebrate their lives. You know, to me, to celebrate and think about the good things and, and the positive things that they brought to, you know, people around them or into my life that I remember, um, and sort of, you know, take them things on. And and you know you don't you know it might take a second and, and make you not take things for granted and think about you know you might need to make a phone call to someone you know or talk to someone so it's you know from mental side they are the setbacks in your life not not football nothing to do with football but in life you get setbacks and, and they're, they're things that you've got to try and positively take forward with you yeah I saw you paying tribute to him as well like mm, yeah every yeah. year yeah yeah of course. Cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, so yeah, and also just talking about players who you, you played against some world class yeah. players, mate. Unbelievable. Yeah. So who who stands out in your mind? Uh massive one stands at Rude Van Nistelrooy. A lot of people mostly say, well, not Henri or Ronaldo. Henri played out on the left, so I didn't really see him, thankfully. <laughs> stayed, stayed well away. <laughs> Ronaldo played up against him, obviously, for a few years, but it wasn't Ronaldo that we all know now. Mm. He was sort of getting to that point. He nearly, he nearly he never made good. it now, did he? No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I made him a great player. That's right. Yeah. Man, um, but he was still good. Obviously, he was still very wary of him and, and what I what I needed to do up against him. But he wasn't that type of Ronaldo what he's now. Ruud van Nistelrooy was sort of at the peak of his career at United as a centre forward. Remember playing him at home one year, and they had the you know they, they had the team. You know the Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, you know Rio Ferdinand, and and Vidic and, and all them players and Rude was playing up front. The one thing that I came off that game with a physical headache. It's the only time I've ever had it without against Van Nistelrooy. Against Rude Van Nistelrooy. It's the only time I've ever had a physical headache without I know clashing heads or getting an elbow. Came off literally with a physical headache. Because you never saw him all game. He stood on this shoulder and that shoulder or behind me. And I kept having to sort of look round. And I couldn't never get him. I think he probably scored two that game. I think he lost like 4-1 at home, I think it was. But Paul's goals get picking the ball up and just literally... And if I dropped deep, he'd drop even deeper. And if I did it again, he'd drop... And it's like... And obviously, I prefer the centre-forward that's in front of me. Yeah. So I could kick him. I could, you know, see him, what I, what I could get at him and I might be able to get him. He was never there. And every time I dropped deep or gone that way, he'd... Go, and it's it was just it was relentless. So it sort of stuck out in my head playing against him, which was which was a hard, hard game. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting for people who play if they're strikers or, or used to be and can relate to that, like yeah. that you can cause a lot of trouble just by standing on, on yeah. your shoulder. And and obviously that was the first part of that offside, on offside, non offside. So we stand offside and as we drop back, he'd be yeah. onside. Yeah. And it was so diff it was so difficult. And you know, like I say, for strikers, if you're seen it's easy, it's easy a game for the centre-half because they can see you and they can know what you're doing. But if you go from behind, you know, to then to come back and things like that and try and hide hide away, which he was doing, it's such a... It's, it's, it was so difficult. It was a joke. Even hurts my head just doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Trauma. Yeah, sure, yeah, it's bringing it all back. <laughs> did you play against Dennis Bergkamp? Uh, I did at Highbury. Um, I think, I'm sure he, he was playing. But obviously, again, he sort of dropped in. Hmm. So it wasn't sort of, he was an amazing player. But too far away to kick. Just too far away to kick. Yeah, you, <laughs> I've never roamed in there. Christ, I won't get it back. <laughs> I saw a nice goal that you scored for the Timbers when you, you, you've travelled. That's right. A decent yeah. distance. From the halfway line. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It was early days that I think they got a taste of what was not going to happen going, <laughs> going along. So. Year one doing that and yeah, winning the MLS Cup. Right. Right. It was like, oh, you're going to carry that on. No, I can't. So yeah, that's right. It was amazing. And it sort of opened up. I'm like, Oh, I'm going all the way here. Yeah. And it was like, sod it, might as well shoot. And I think Maxi was screaming for me to square it and I thought, no, you're not having it. <laughs> Luckily it went in, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great goal. <laughs> Do you know what I'd like to talk about as well? Sort of last little thing to touch on before we wrap it up mm. is, you know, you, you lived in Oregon, unbelievable place, weather's superb. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, you live like on... Uh, on the lake yeah right? on the lake that's right yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. when I went there we went to one of the lakes there got like the boat out and, yeah. And yeah did like jet skiing and stuff. yeah 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 such yeah. an amazing lifestyle but you created a 
company, a, a clothing company with yeah. swimwear. Mm. Was that why you're over there? And was that inspired from being over there? It, it wasn't actually. It was before I left. Um, my best mate Sam Saunders. Um, we were just for, trying to think of things to come up with, um, sort of after our career. Um, both love our fashion, um, and we were talking tracksuits, and obviously the market was sort of flooded with all that. Now we'd been to Vegas and Marbella and Ibiza and seen all these people coming in swim shorts and thinking, you're wearing a pair of Nike swim shorts or a pair of Puma or Adidas. I'm thinking, why are you wearing that to a pool party? Mm -hmm. That was sort of the turning point of people starting to go to a pool party and go, I'm going to dress the way I go out in the nighttime. So he he sort of sketched his shorts with his blue band and went, what do you think? I was like, oh, that's all right, you know, that's that's not bad. Anyway, so that sort of started it in 14 I'd left left him to it. I'd try and do it over FaceTime or phone calls, and it just sort of grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then a year ago, the wife took it over, uh, and now she sort of runs it and oh, does wow. it all. So it's sort of you know, it's been a tough road. It was it was it was a tough road, but sort of we took it. I did a thing in Oregon actually in Portland where we we hired out a shop and did a big do and shindig. So it was something that was just really good and, and enjoyable to be honest. Yeah, it's, those stories are fantastic. It comes from real life experience of seeing something and going, do you know what? This mm. should be different. Yeah, yeah. Let's actually take action and do something about yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it was, like I said, it was at these pool parties and people, it was sort of turning, the trend was turning while well, these pool parties were happening and everyone was starting to dress the way they went out. You know, mm. people were wearing shoes while games were pointing, thinking, it's a swimming pool, what are you doing to yourself? You know, it's <laughs> high heels and things like that. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Anyway, so it was like, well, let's bring out swim shorts that, you can wear to the pool and then leave and go to the bar in yeah. or even, you know, go out in. And that's what we tried to create. So, uh, yeah, it it was tough and it was a long, long road. Um, like I said, the wife's taking it over now and she's sort of running it, you know, purely, you know, myself and Sam have gone into coaching and management and it's tough to get time. So she's taking it over, which is amazing and she's enjoying it and, um, you know, it seems to be, you know, sort of going really well for her. No, the designs and everything look great. So it's Thomas yeah. Royale. Thomas it? Royal, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's John Terry's involvement in it? So John joined about two years in. He was going on holiday and bought a load of shorts. Bought a load. Um, and then through connections of his friends and ours, sort of asked about Thomas Royal and about investment and what it was. So he, he invested in the company uh, and got involved. Um, yeah, so sort of investing in the company, got involved in designs and you know, trying to get it out to certain people and um, into shops and all that, which was amazing. So, yeah, it was just sort of by a coincidence of, of sort of buying the shorts. Mm. And where, where are those stocks then now? Well, obviously with shops and all that, we sort I think, obviously, I, I being not part of it massively now, the wife is, but obviously I don't think there are many shops right now because obviously with pandemic yeah. and what's going on, sort of so drawn e- away from that. So it's all, all online yeah. and everything like that now. So, you know. Once hopefully we get the summer back and people are going on holiday, we'll start seeing yeah. some Thomas Rawls shorts oh flying again. Can't wait for holiday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, been uh, egging to put them on, just jumping the snow at the minute. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Hopefully we get some sun and some holidays. <laughs> Thomas Rawls snowing. Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> well, mate, look, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. We do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Okay. These are just like tangible pieces of advice that people can take away and even implement into their lives mm. to hopefully help them perform better. Mm whatever that is, sales, sport, anything else like that. So yeah. the first one of these is, is there anything you've discovered or come across recently that you're particularly excited about? Oh, good one. Uh, 
That is a good one. The pandemic's killing us, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, yeah, exactly. to get excited. It's good stuff. You know what I was going to say, like a TV show or something. Yeah, Christ, no, you can. But, uh, Definitely, mate. People have I come shows. across... Do you know what I... What I at the first pandemic, uh, first lockdown, uh, I started taking um, ketones. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife was doing it in secret because um, <laughs> she knew what I was like. I hate all that. I, like, any supplements, I've never done them in my career, never done them. Eat and drink or whatever... Don't make a difference. Luckily, I don't put much weight on. But uh, she was taken. I'm like, you look all right. Not that she didn't look all right, but I'm like, you look all right, you do. She went, oh, I'm <laughs> taking this drink that she'd been doing. Uh, sends your body into ketosis. Now, mm. I'm not claiming to know loads about it. But, yeah, I started taking that. And, uh, yeah, it's been been brilliant for, for me, sort of mental side and, and health-wise and things like that. So it's... So that's probably something that I've, I've been excited okay. about, yeah. Interesting. What is it? How does it make you feel then? For me, it, it yes, it is a weight loss thing. It's one another sort of weight loss thing, but it's also got a, a mental side. It, it made me just feel really good in the morning. Like sort of, it it sort of opened my eyes. Mad, mad, mad thing to 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 feel. Obviously, I didn't need it for weight loss thing, but I took it in the morning. It stopped me having tea and coffee. Mm. So I took this, took the drink and drunk drunk it, and you sip it over probably like an hour. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just sort of opened my eyes and sort of just, I don't know, happy, bright. Not that I wasn't before, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah, it just made myself feel really good. No, it's a bit different. It's funny, mate. I've, yeah, I was just going to say, actually, this is my first coffee in a month. Right. No way. Yeah. Wow. Bloody hell. Because uh, I was just trying to, I've, I got in a habit of having too much of it. And I think yeah. that you do get a little bit of fog when you have too much yeah. stimulus. I think like you that. do. And, and, you know, when I get up, I have a cup of tea, obviously. And I wasn't having a cup of tea. Uh, through the first sort of lockdown because it was warm out and I wasn't having it. And I don't know, I found myself a little bit, not down, but sort of not not alive, bit of a crazy word, but sort of just not, uh, sort of, you know, not clicking you know, how I should do. And I, I did. I, I did, started taking these drinks and it was a 10-day change to start off with and then you take them sort of lifestyle wise mm. and it just it i don't know it, it sort of opened my eyes like i wasn't living before and then suddenly was living mm. it's like a limitless pill yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like the blue pill yeah. <laughs> getting out of the matrix finally. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right mate, the second of these is if there was one habit or routine you'd encourage all listeners to incorporate into their day what would that be that could be a morning routine or just something that you do during the day mm. routine making a phone call to someone mm. Uh, yeah, making a phone call to someone just to chat to someone. Um, I think people we go through life um, not, you know, some days not even talking to anyone else except for our own household some days. Um, but just talking to someone might not be someone different, could mix it up a little bit, but maybe just a phone call to someone maybe. Yeah. I don't do it enough myself, but it's, it's something that I think to incorporate would be would be brilliant. Yeah, I think it's great advice, it's, mm. especially at the moment. That's yeah, I mean. that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Zoom calls and, and the, you know, these quizzes. Mm. All the quizzes have come back. You know, I used to go to a quiz. God, I was at Villa at the time, quiz on a Thursday night down the local pub to do the quizzes, which was amazing. But that sort of, I don't know if pubs fell away with that. I don't yeah. know. I've not seen too much of it or I know it still goes on, but I don't hear about it as much. I don't know whether I'm just disconnected from it a little yeah. bit, but I don't hear about it as much. So these Zoom calls and getting these quizzes going, it's sort of brought that back round. Yeah. 
to me. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. funny though, you're talking about the change in football and how that's different now. And mm. you're right, we we are losing something. Yeah. Like in society. Yeah. Maybe it's the tech that we're all just glued to our phones all the time. But yeah. there's something yeah, I've changed. I think it is, you know, I, I, as as we talk about sport and as we talk about tech, it just brings me back to a to golf where I think Tiger was on a tee box and everybody was looking at Tiger mm. through their phone while taking a photo. Now I get you want the photo because I'd want the photo as well, but they're looking at Tiger through a phone, you know, when he's with there. that tech. Yeah, yeah, when he's right in front of you. Yeah. See it in concerts and stuff, yeah, don't exactly. you? Well. People just video in their performance rather that, than you're actually that's it. Yeah, yeah. So now. really people come home and go, oh, look at that. Yeah. They don't describe it. You don't have a conversation or you send a photo. So I, I, it loses it, it, it a little bit. So I think, yeah, the tech has, has, has gone away a little bit. At night, I, I get my phone, I just leave it in the kitchen. Mm. I put it up on the side and leave it in the kitchen. From when? From about 7.30. Yeah, I'll try to do that. So I'll try and leave it alone and put it in there. Now, <laughs> football-wise and management-wise and coaching-wise, things happen, obviously, during the night, and you <laughs> probably shouldn't do it, but I don't <laughs> want it sitting next to me. Yeah. Because you do, you feel that need to do it. Yeah. So it, it's, I leave it in there. So, yeah. I think some. I think studies will show in the future how it impacts us. I feel like a lot of us, I found myself doing it as well, you mm. live almost in the third person. You're not like truly mm. present here at no. the minute because you're thinking about how how whatever you're experiencing now might look on a photo or, or in your story yeah. or like whatever you're yeah. doing. Yeah, I think, it, it, like you say, I think future, you know, there'd be documentaries and things like that yeah. and of, of how bad it was for, for kids to be doing certain mm. stuff, you know. You know, I, listen, I when my little one's eating, yeah, she she watches an iPad every every now and again and watches stuff, you know, I'm not going to claim I don't do that. But, you know, I just, in moderation, mm. it, you know, it, 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 to help the kids going forwards, yeah, you don't want to see them on it all the yeah. time, that's for sure. There's that great documentary, um, Social Dilemma, I think, yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, I've watched it, yeah, and yeah. It, it, it opens your eyes. Yeah. You know, I, I go back to that drink, it opens your eyes. Yeah. Watching something, it does open your eyes and you think, yeah, that, that that does happen. Mm-hmm. It does work. It does happen because you do see on these platforms that you click one thing and then so, the next day you get another thing about it and you yeah. think, cool, how's that happened? Well, it's technology. Mm-hmm. You know, it's reading what you're doing, which is you're know, worrying a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I've said this before on the podcast, but like I've heard it said that the greatest gift is to be able to see something with new eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like that's what you're saying. When yeah. you open yeah. your eyes, you suddenly see something with a bit different perception yeah, of it. Absolutely, it's like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I draw back to America. Before I went, my agent went, oh, ring ring this person, ring this person, ring this person, ring this person, these footballers or whatever, and ask them how it was. Mm. And I refused. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I'm going to go there with open eyes. And if I do six months and don't like it, I'll come home. If I do a month, I don't like it, I'll come home. But I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not letting them tell me something negative um, or anything, if they do bring up something negative about the football, I'm going to go there and experience a negative if a negative comes. Mm. But I'm going to go in there and open eyes. And he was like, oh, that's, that's a good way of thinking about I it. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's superb. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, because yeah, it's so easy to be impacted then by that and have your mindset already changed to look at it. And you almost start looking for that, don't you? Yeah. If someone yeah. said, oh, it's this part of it's that, shit. That's it. Yeah, you, you'd think, oh, fuck, I'm not going yeah. there. I'm not going to do that. Oh, the, the, you play on Astro. Oh, fuck that. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not. You're at my knees. Yeah, exactly. You're at my knees. And, you know, you're, you're missing out on stuff. You yeah. know, since uh, <laughs> kids, uh, going back to it, it Kids, what women do is when they are pregnant, what do they do? They tell each other about their bad mm. pregnancies. So they put a negative thought in their minds straight away. 
I said to Francesca, I said, everyone, she said, I'm not listening to anyone no more. Like if they, I'm not asking for stories. I don't want to hear them. If you're going to tell me a story about your pregnancy, positive, all positive. She did all that when it was important. And now, bit back home, I caught her the other day. I know she was talking to a couple of her friends, and it's like, yeah, it lasted 24 hours and this and that. I went, yeah. there's that negative stuff. You know, you want positive stuff in, a, in birthing and in bringing something to the world. So it's, it's what you put in is what you what you get out of it, I think. It's good, man. That's actually, um, as, as you're saying it, it's been a pattern throughout this conversation. That yeah. That's where your yeah. your whole view on the world, mm. and I think that's been a huge part on yeah. you know, why you've had the success you've had. Yeah, and, and and that sort of, ch- I, I'm not going to lie, it changed when I left West Brom and went to America. You know, I wasn't as, I wasn't, I was just going through it, you know, football-wise. I was just training, game, training, games. And I sort of, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to enjoy myself now and I'm going to enjoy it for me. Mm. And that's sort of, that's where it sort of come from. I've tried to carry it on, really. Yeah, amazing. We can all do that as well. Yeah, yeah. Last one. I think we've we've actually kind of nailed the answer to this now. <laughs> but I'm going to let you give, yeah, yeah, give yeah. your own view on it. But if you had to nail down one trait within you that's allowed you to get the success that you had, <laughs> yeah. just like about over ten minutes. But <laughs> what what one trait would you say? Yeah, I, it'd be the the drivenness of myself and and mental toughness. I'd say yeah. certainly driven part. Um, I think in every wolf of life, anything that you do, any work, anything that you want to do in life, just if you want to do it or, you know, don't let anyone distract you from, you know, trying trying to get to your goal. It might, might not, you might not get there, but you might get some other thing from trying to get there. So I, that's why I try and say of positive stuff of going through it. Don't look at a negative that you didn't get there. There might be a positive that comes out of it. You might have met a positive someone on the way there. So I think it's, you know, sort of, yeah, determination and that outlook on life is probably the, the best traits I've got. Yeah, super, Hopefully. mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's brilliant, mate. Yeah. Thank you so much. One more thing, just a big thank you because uh, lockdown one, you might every now and then hear it in my house because it caught on the, the odd twizzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, still, I saw right. your story when you had your moustache. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. I'd, uh, I, I'd, got, I'd got bored of it because all the barbers are shut down, I've not mm. been able to go and get it to... Twizzle. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So I've not been able to thing it. So it's like, oh, no. So, uh, yeah, it's been a bit annoying, but yeah. I did do it. I really enjoyed it. I actually said to the wife, I miss it. Yeah. I miss my moustache. <laughs> I do really miss it, it on back. the twizzle. Yeah, is that on the twizzle it back? <laughs> no, honestly, I, I saw it. It just cracked me up. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, then, then you just hear, you know, you're having spaghetti bolognese, yeah, you just yeah. getting twizzle, like that, <laughs> yeah, with, with anything. Right. <laughs> uh, the twizzle, the twizzle party, that's right, yeah, twizzle, yeah, Christ. <laughs> right, thank you, honestly, my cheeks are out, and we've been smiling so much. So, no, yeah. I appreciate it, it's my pleasure. There it is, guys, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying this season 11, and I hope you are enjoying it too. Thank you so much to Ridgie for joining me, speaking with me and actually having me in his home. You can follow him at Liam Ridgewell on socials and follow Thomas Royal at Thomas Royal 2Ls on social too. Mindset was such a huge part of this conversation and every time I speak with someone who is the best at what they do, like in this case, it always comes back to how we speak to ourselves, how we decide to view certain situations. I also noticed that those who have had more difficult challenges 
thrust upon them certainly have the ability to see the good in any future challenges and also have a far, far stronger mindset afterwards because of that event. And to be honest, that just fills me with hope for anyone up against it, anyone facing an obstacle or challenge or something that's particularly uncomfortable. And to that, I'll just say from experience, just know everything will be okay and you'll be stronger for it on the other side. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode we just listened to. Reach out to Ridgie, reach out to me, let us know what you thought, what you enjoyed. You can also share, of course, on socials and not ask people to do that for a while, but if you feel comfortable, I'd love to see you sharing it in your story or just DM me if you don't want to do that. DM me, I'd love to hear what you think. Next week on the podcast, we have a guy called Miles Hopper, founder of Mindful Chef, an unbelievable business that's just gone from strength to strength to strength. You've likely heard of Mindful Chef, but if not, they're the UK's number one healthy recipe box. They're making outstanding moves. I don't know how they do it. I'm interviewing Miles next week, so I actually haven't spoken with him yet, but it will be out on Sunday. And I'm excited to hear all his nutritional advice and also how he's scaled this business so quickly. Guys, thank you again so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to support Take Flight and everything I'm doing. Until next time, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.